Well, good morning. Thank you guys for that. Our acoustic set, our soggy bottom boys as we call them, but uh, such a wonderful song as we just kind of transition and think about our message today. And and at, as we're studying these passages like in Ecclesiastes, and join me in Ecclesiastes chapter 5, we're continuing our series uh, through this. And, and if you're joining us for the first time, um, uh, I'm, I promise not all of our messages are quite so depressing in some ways, but we've been through Ecclesiastes, and this has been a hard series as we walk through. I know Aaron has has expressed before, both, both publicly here from the platform as well as uh, privately, but, but Ecclesiastes is a hard book when we begin to think through it. And just even thinking about that song uh, uh, out of Psalms 23, just with the hardships of life that we go through, and then looking at the reality, you see, that's what makes Ecclesiastes so hard, is because we deal with the, the raw reality of life. Because life isn't always easy, right? <laughs> life, life is tough, and, and as we come to passages of Scripture, like what we're seeing today, we, we have to wrestle with real life, not, not theory, not not uh, these ideas of, of everything's going to be hunky-dory and, and easy-going and easy-peasy, but yet we, we see the reality of some great struggles. You know, ultimately, our series is without God, everything is meaningless. Without God, everything is meaningless. He gives us our purpose. He gives us our hope. And church, we have to understand that truth as we move forward. Now, now, last week in Ecclesiastes chapter 7, there, there was a little bit of a reprieve almost from, from the, the constant, uh, what, what I feel like is almost in some ways a beating throughout the book of Ecclesiastes that Solomon gives us. But last week is like a hinge passage of Scripture for us because as Aaron uh, taught us last week, he gave us multiple principles. I believe it was 11 if I remember offhand, but 11 principles of really wisdom. And, and, and Solomon almost wrote chapter 7 kind of like the book of Proverbs, right? You know, hey, here are, here are 11 principles of wisdom in which you can guide and, and live your life and, and you can navigate the challenges of this world around us. But then what we do is we come to chapter 8 and we're, we're going to come to chapter 9 next week where Solomon takes the principles that we learned from last week and, and helps apply it to us in real life situations. And so today we, we really kind of ask ourselves two questions as we come to this text, and, and, and I think these are some important questions for us to ask. The first is, how, how should I act when there doesn't seem to be any way to win in life? H- how should I act? How should I live? How, how should I navigate this life when there doesn't seem to be any way to live, uh, any way to win? Like, I, I can never get on top. I feel like my circumstances are constantly beating me down. I'm walking through the valley of the shadow of death every day. You know, life, life's not easy. Yeah, how do I navigate this as a believer? Understanding the truth is of the scripture. <laughs> or another question we might ask ourselves, and we'll see kind of in the text today, how, how can I stand against the injustice and the trials of this life? You know, it doesn't take very long. Just turn on the news Turn on the TV, open up a news app somewhere, even social media. We'll talk about that in a little bit. But to, not, to see that there's a lot of injustice going on in this world. There's, there's a lot of turmoil. There's a lot of struggle, and not just in the United States of America, but across the world. How do we as believers navigate this mess that we call life? 
you know, all of us want to figure this out, right? I mean, you're not sitting here today, you know, just thinking you're going to wing this life. I think you found yourself here in this place today to, to, to seriously wrestle with those questions, to figure out where do we go and, and, and how do we live this life. And you see, that's the wonderful thing about a passage of Scripture like Ecclesiastes. You see, Solomon is challenging us on the importance of wisdom and, and, and how to live and how we're supposed to live our lives and, and wisdom for us and how we navigate as believers. The wisdom is like our gauge. It's, it's a, our guide. It's, it's our panel, if you want to use that phrase. He's thinking, panel? What do you mean? Well, think about it. Like when we drive and we're driving down the road, like, what do you do? Like, you, we have an instrument panel that's there in front of us that we look at. It's got gauges that tell us particular information like our speed. You know, that's, that's important. You know, there's a few officers in this room that if you don't well, follow that gauge, then you might see some blue lights behind you, right? You know, that, that gauge is important. You know, it, it, there might even be a gauge that tells you how much fuel that you have or how much, you know, your RPMs on your engine. You know, those are important gauges, maybe even a compass that tells you which direction. But ultimately, when you drive your vehicle, you're looking out the front window, seeing what's in front of you and figuring out the direction of where you're going. But, see, wisdom is more like the gauges or the panel of an airplane. See, flying is totally different. And you think, well, I, I don't know. I don't, I don't fly. There's a few of you, I think, in, in our church that has a pilot's license. But most of us, or most of you like me, don't have a pilot's license. But back in 2009, I had the opportunity to, to uh, serve under Johnny Hunt and at the time, he was the president of the Southern Baptist Convention. He's a pastor of First Baptist Woodstock. And there was a guy in, in our church that, that had this private plane, and he volunteered and said, hey, I'll fly you guys around the country for free, like to all the different speaking engagements that you have to go to. Um, and so we're like, hey, sweet. Well, during that year, he taught us a lot about flying. You're getting to look out the front of the plane, like sometimes even sitting you know, next to him as the co-pilot listening to all the chatter on the radio and what's going on. You see, flying is totally different. See, flying, yeah, you can look out the front window, and sometimes, like on a pretty day, you can see the land, you can see the mountains, you can look down and, and see the direction of where you're going. If you're following along the coast, you know, you can figure out your way around, you see. But ultimately, if you're really going to fly, you have to fly, not by looking out the window, you have to fly by the panels. I'll never forget one day, I was trying to land in Kansas City, Missouri, and as we looked at it, it was a heavy, foggy day, and when you looked out the window, all you saw was white. And all on the radio, you heard the chatter of the, the airplanes trying to figure out, can we land, can we land, can we land? All these commercial jets just circling, and sometimes we find ourselves like that in life, just, just circling, not knowing what to do. Like All we do is we look out, and we see the storms of life, and we see, see the clouds like circling in around us, and we don't know how to get our plane on the ground. We don't know how to get in the direction of where we're supposed to go, but ultimately, as a pilot, you can always trust your instruments. Air traffic control said that the runway was clear. We trusted their word. We listened to the instruments, and the beacon told us that we were clear to land, and we landed. We couldn't see the runway till the wheels hit, but we landed. See, wisdom for us is like our instrument panel. It, it guides us, and it leads us in life. And you see, so, so many times, we, we're like other people. We, we look out the window, and all we see are the storms of life. 
We see clouds, we see the fog, we see the turmoils, we see the struggle. And you see, church, that's what gets us off track. You know, there are many of you in this room that maybe the, even today you're struggling with this truth because all you're doing is looking at the circumstances around you. You're, you, you're uh, toxic in any relationship that you have. You struggle to, to hold friends. Like people say that they have to walk around eggshells when they're around you because, because you're just set off easily. Like you're constantly struggling with the, the turmoil of life. See, church, the problem when we get into a situation like that is our circumstances become sovereign, not our Savior. You know, this is the importance of Ecclesiastes chapter 8. You know, I wanted to lay this foundation for us, you see, because ultimately when we look at this text, we're going to see that at the end of the day, through it all, like our wisdom drives us to the point that we know that our God is sovereign and that He is in full control of everything that goes on. You know, at the end of the day, when it looks like the world is falling apart, we can look to Jesus and know that he's got it covered. You know, are you flying through this life looking out the window at the storms around you, or are you looking at the gauges, the, the, the wisdom of what is laid out for you? Reread passages like, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. You know, for, for some of you, that, that seems like a foreign understanding today. But, but God is offering you rest, you see, because God's got it all under control. No matter what the news media says, God has always got it under control. We can find our hope, our future in Jesus Christ. He says, in everything, give thanks for this is the will of God, God for you in Christ Jesus. Those are wonderful passages of Scripture. Can we hold on to those truths today in light of all that we see? So Solomon here is emphasizing us in chapter 8. Let's go ahead and find your place there in chapter 8. He's emphasizing the importance of strength under trial. Strength or, or what some people might even call poise. You know, poise is that strength, that fortitude to be able to stand in the gap. Even when the circumstances are pushing in around us, that poise, that strength allows us to dig our heels in and to rest in the hope. Of what we know, and the hope of what we know is that Christ has it all. So, back to those two questions. How should I act when there doesn't seem to be any way to win in life? How can I stand against the injustice and the trials of this life? Look, look at with me in this passage of Scripture. Ecclesiastes chapter 8, starting in verse 1, he gives us really the bookend as it transitions from chapter 7 to chapter 8. Who is like the wise? And who knows the interpretation of a thing, a man's wisdom makes his face shine, and the hardness of his face is changed. You know, Solomon starts off here with the, the preamble to the chapter. He's like, you know, wisdom has the power to change our attitude, to change our appearance, to change our countenance, because when we have wisdom, it helps us interpret life differently. When those storms of life come in and crowd around us and blind us, oftentimes in, in ways that we can't see, wisdom is our guide and we can stand there with confidence as believers knowing the direction of where we're supposed to go because we know that we're in the will of God. Wisdom leads us in that direction. Solomon says that the wise person is illuminated and in fact has much joy, so much joy that you can see it on their faces. Is that you today? 
you know, Solomon introduces these topics that he's going to get to in a minute. Is, is that where you find yourself today, or do you find yourself living in fear of what's next? So Solomon gets into the meat of the text, and as, as we look at this, he's going to lay out for us three, three ways to apply wisdom. In fact, many of this is coming from what we learned last week in chapter 7 that's applied directly here. But the first area that he talks about is wisdom towards governmental authority. We're going to try not to talk about too much politics here as we get into this, but the reality is, is that that government is, is the, I guess if you want to say, a necessary evil that's there that we have to deal with. You know, Solomon's already addressed this in great detail uh, in, in other chapters, and we'll get to that in a minute. But look at what he says here about how we respond towards governmental authority. Verse 2, I say, keep the king's command because of God's oath to him. Be not hasty to go from his presence. Do not take your stand in an evil cause, for he does whatever he pleases. For the word of the king is supreme, and who may say to him, What are you doing? Whoever keeps a command will know no evil thing, and the wise heart will know the proper time and the just way. For there is a time and a way for everything Although man's trouble lies heavy on him, for he does not know what it is to be, for who can tell him how it will be? Verse 8, no man has the power to retain the spirit or the power over the day of death. There is no discharge from war, nor will wickedness deliver those who are given to it. And all of this I observed while applying my heart to all that is done under the sun when man had the power Overmanned to his hurt. You say, well, what is that all about, right? Now, Solomon lays out for us an interesting scenario here. He introduces us to, to a king who, in that time, remember, a king had ultimate authority. Authority over life and death, absolute power in any matter within his kingdom. In fact, you know, his word is supreme, and in challenging the authority of a king is a bad idea. But we, we get the impression here in the text, when we look towards verse 9 and towards the end of that passage, that, that this king that is being described here isn't a good king. You know, they, they do things that are, that are wrong and, and that are evil. In fact, like I said, Solomon has already addressed that fact. In fact, you know, he says that government is powerless to address the injustices of this world. In fact, oftentimes in the process of the government trying to fix the injustices that we see around this world, it, it creates more injustices. That was a, a few chapters ago. Aaron's already addressed that in great detail as we get here. But Solomon's hitting this point again here as he addresses it. So he, he's trying to tell us here, you know, ultimately government is something that we have to deal with. But we have to understand with wisdom, how do we navigate the authority that God has placed over us? So he tells us a few things here in this passage. So point A there. He says that our primary obligation to the government is to obey. Our primary obligation is to obey. And so the teacher here, the preacher, as, as he is known and as he calls himself in this passage, warns us against deserting one's post. When the times get tough and when the direction that, that, that the king or the government is going in, in a different direction than what we want, it, we, we can't just walk away. We can't just desert our post. In fact, obviously, in the context of this passage of Scripture for an Israelite, that would be treason. You know, for us, in our day and time, we can't just turn our back 
on our government and give up. You know, God has commanded us to obey the authority that is given over us. Do you know that, the, that our government that is over us, good, bad, or ugly, it, it is an institution given by God for us? You say, well, that doesn't sound very pleasant. Well, you know, hey, we're, we're going to wrestle with that and dig through that a little bit more. But notice here, as, as, the, uh, as Solomon gives us this, this command to obey, notice here he doesn't give any qualification upon the king's worthiness. There's no qualification. In fact, Paul over in Romans chapter 13, verses 1 and 2. Now remember, Paul is serving under Nero. What is Nero doing? He's taking Christians and he's putting them in, in animal skins and lighting up the streets of Rome with them. You know, As believers, they're being tortured and abused for their faith. And Paul still tells them in Romans chapter 13, he says, Let every person be subject to the government authorities. For there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed. Those are tough words. And those who resist will incur judgment. See, guys, as believers, we have to, we have to wrestle with this. You know, th- there is no perfect leader. I mean, our current president is not perfect. He makes good decisions, and he makes bad decisions. You know, our former president, President Obama, made good decisions and made bad decisions, as well as every other president that's happened in the past, as well as every other president that will happen in the future. You know, there's things that goes on that are wrong. There's things that, that goes on that are, that are right. See, in church, we have to, as believers, stand up. And we have to obey whether we like what's being said or, or not. We're going to address, and, and, and Solomon's going to tell us how we deal with the stuff that we disagree with. But, but ultimately, for us just to give up or to sit back and say, well, I don't want to be involved with it at all. I don't want to do anything. You know, I don't like that law, so I'm just not going to obey it. That, that is unbiblical. See, in church, we have to wrestle with the wisdom that God has given us, with, with the wisdom that is in the pages of this word, and we have to respond and obey to those that God has instituted. That's what Paul says there in chapter 12, that God has put the authority over us. And to disobey the authority that is over us is to disobey God. Let that sink in a little bit. He says there, and he continues Solomon says, don't take your stand in an evil cause, for he does whatever he pleases. For the word of the king is supreme, and who may say to him, what are you doing? He's saying, don't combat evil with evil. You don't respond uh, respond, uh, with evil things because you don't like what's going on. Now, obviously, there are uh, limits to obedience. You say, well, what are those limits? Acts Acts chapter 5 gives us a great uh, testament to that. If obedience to the king means disobeying God, we should ultimately obey God. If our government says one day that that it's illegal to be a follower of Christ, then then that's when they cross the line. But let's just think about it. The vast majority of the things that we complain about and that we whine about within our government, (laughs) you know, there are things that don't really matter, right? Sure, I don't want to pay more taxes, right? You guys don't want to either, but you know what? If, if we're supposed to t- pay more taxes and those that are in authority tell me how much taxes I'm supposed to pay, for me not to pay would be wrong and it would be sinful. 
See, church, we have to wrestle with this vast majority of the things that we complain about are things that don't matter. Listen to Romans chapter 12. Once again, Paul, verse 17, Repay no evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, and I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heat burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. See, church, how are we supposed to respond you know, we're supposed to respond to the evil in this world and the evil within even our own government. We're supposed to respond with good. And you know what? We let God sort out the rest. You know, that's, that's tough for us to swallow, isn't it? <laughs> Why is this so hard? Look back at Ecclesiastes chapter 8, verse 5 there at the end. The wise heart will know the proper time. In the just way, for there is a time and a way for everything, although man's trouble lies heavy on him, for he does not know what is to be. <laughs> what do we see here? You know, how are we supposed to respond to those things that we see? We see that our response needs to be in the proper time and the proper way. Point B, so we're supposed to obey but yet when we do need to address things and we do need to lead out as believers, we need to respond to the things that we see, the injustices, the trials, the struggles in this life. We need to respond to them in the proper time, in the proper way. That's a biblical way to address things. Let's just take a couple of the, the social hot topics and, and hot issues. You know, homosexuality, it is biblically wrong. I mean, biblically, when you open the scriptures and you read, it is, it is wrong. But for us to treat homosexuals with hate speech and to, to blast them as human beings and to degrade them as individuals is wrong. See, and it's not accomplishing anything. You see, that's where wisdom comes in. As, as believers, we, we need to respond in the proper time in the proper way. You know, we need to, to exercise our rights as Americans to help create the laws that need to go into place to, to drive us towards where we need to be morally, but for us to mistreat the individuals. Remember Jesus, he's the perfect example. Where was Jesus? He was always with sinners. And they always loved him, and they always wanted to be around him. Why is it that sinners don't want to be around us, right? Because we're too much like the Pharisees oftentimes, aren't we? We're too judgy. So we need to respond to them with love and address their sin, but love them as individuals. I was mentioning to someone earlier, you know, about this topic. I think about abortion. That's another issue. You know, abortion is wrong, but for us to go and to respond and to address the, the problems that we see, you know, obviously something like bombing an abortion clinic like we've seen people do in the past, that is not the proper way to respond to the issue. Neither is standing out in front of an abortion clinic and, and speaking hatred and evil words to the poor ladies that are going in there, struggling with the decisions that they're making. See, see church, this is why we get ourselves in a weird and, and tough place as believers. I mean, I can, I can sense the tension in the room. I'm feeling it, you know, for myself, because, because God is calling us 
to a better way. He's not asking, <laughs> Solomon's not telling us to lower our standards, but we have to understand our place. There's a proper time and a proper way in which to address these issues and how to respond and how to deal with them. And, and I'll be honest too, here's another thing. Facebook is not the way to respond to these things, right? That's what everybody's thinking, right? You know, I'm going to solve the social issue and I'm going to blast this article out there and drop this grenade in the room. I, I'm sorry, what has that ever accomplished? I mean, I've got stacks of books in my office, not just written by Christian people, but by secular people that are saying that social media is absolutely destroying our country. In fact, the pendulum is starting to swing back the other way. As people are starting to realize how it is destroying not just adults, but our children. I'm sorry, when... Why can't we sit across the table from somebody who has a different viewpoint with us and, and let's converse like face to face? See, oftentimes what we'll find out is that we, we agree on more things than we disagree. And that's why we have to respond to wisdom because most of the time our politicians are too busy arguing and not addressing the issues. You know, people like us are, are being pushed on the fringes because no one wants to sit down and have honest conversations anymore. And as believers, we need to lead the way in our government and in our society and in our community of how we respond with wisdom to the issues that we face. Now, we're not always going to see eye to eye, right? You know, because as believers, we, we have this as our standard. And, and God's word says some pretty specific things about cultural issues that are going on. And that there's people that just are going to disagree with us because they don't have that biblical foundation. But church, we should be able to respond with grace and with truth and respond honestly with people and love someone who disagrees with us. In a room of this size, there are many different political views. But can we... Can we not all unite around the gospel and move forward? Can we not have honest conversations with each other and address things in a proper way and in a proper time? See, because ultimately Solomon's going to open the can of worms. He's going to say, like, guys, here, here's the real reason why. Because our third point we see there that, that our life doesn't really depend on the government anyways. That's a little secret. Solomon's saying, hey, you guys are arguing so much about all this stuff that's going around, and, and your life is, is like in utter turmoil. And let's be honest, a lot of the things that bother us today, how much of it can we really change? How much in our capacity and our power do we really have the ability to change? That's what Solomon's saying is he's like, guys, the government doesn't really matter. For Yes, we're supposed to obey them. Yes, we need to address things in the proper time, proper way. I'm not saying be a pacifist and sit back and don't vote. No, exercise your right. But ultimately, at the end of the day, live your life. Look, verse 8, he talks about some limitations there. He says, you know, no one can imprison anyone's spirit. You know, yeah, they can imprison you, but they can't imprison your spirit. But secondly, you know, death, death is within God's control, you know? God is the ultimate one who gives life and death, not the government. We, we wrestle with that so much, but like God's the one that's in control and on the throne. You know, not only that, no one, he says there in verse 8, no one is discharged in time of war. And it, and it seems to, and you think, well, what's that phrase? It, it speaks of the king's power. And, and in, in this conflict of, of death, no authority is able to rescue. 
You know, in the, in, in the fog of war and the fog of battle, the government's not going to save you in the trenches of life, right? It's, in a lot of ways, it's every man for himself when you're in the trenches and you're fighting. Ultimately, in the end, like going back to what he already said there, that, that, that God is really the one that's ultimately in control. He's the one that holds power over life and death. The injustices and the sorrows of life force us to come to terms with what's going on in the worlds that, that we see, the powers that govern us. We have to wrestle with these things. But on the higher level, God is the one that we are ultimately under authority. Uh, he's the one that's ultimately our authority, and he's the one that we have to come and under. See, ultimately, Solomon's laying out for us that, that, that the problems with wisdom is, is it's great and it's awesome, but ultimately even wisdom will fail us in the end. Because ultimately we don't know the future. God does. We don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. We don't know what's going to happen next year. But God does. We have to trust Him, put our hope in Him. If we put our hope in our government, if we put our hope in our politicians, then church, we're going to be fine left wanting. But if we put our hope in our sovereign Lord and Savior, church, it doesn't matter what's going to happen in this life. God is always faithful and will get us through. All right, we're going to have to move here a little bit more. You know, we are left in the end here. We're, we're forced to see that our, our wisdom is severely limited. You know, we're forced to entrust ourselves in all that we have and all that we love to a sovereign God. You see, but church, that's where we struggle with so much because we want to be in, in control. We want to do things ourselves. We want to have the power to change everything. But what Solomon is saying is that we lack the power to Isaiah chapter 55. Verse 8 and 9, you see, we don't think like God. He says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. You see, we don't understand what God is doing in this world. You know, why does God allow injustices to happen? Let's just think back to a few years ago. I love history, and I love studying History, you think about World War II. Think about the injustices that happen. Why, why does God allow that to happen? You know, we'll never know the answer to that. You know, why does God allow millions of his own people, the Jews, to be slaughtered mercilessly in just racial genocide? Why? I don't know. God, God knows. What's going on? God, God has a plan and a reason, but we have to trust not in our understanding, but in God's understanding. Why is God letting what's happening in our world happen today? I don't know, but we know that God is still on, in control. He is on the throne. He is allowing things to happen for a certain way and a certain reason. And maybe sometime in eternity we'll know the answer, but for now we don't. And we have to trust that God has it under control. A wise man knows that God can change a thing in a heartbeat. Anytime God wants to, he can turn our world upside down. <laughs> Some of you know that quite well. A phone call with a doctor's diagnosis. All of a sudden, the things that used to matter don't matter quite so much anymore. A phone call that somebody in your family has died or has terminal Ill illness. You know, our life is turned upside down in a heartbeat. And that's why God has to be on the throne. A wise man rests in the sovereignty of God rather than taking matters into our own 
hands. And so, church, this is what we struggle with. But now Solomon moves on not just from the, the wisdom and how we deal with the government, uh, governmental authorities, but he now moves to a broader sense in, in the world. So look at, secondly, he tells us there, starting in verse 10, he, he gives us uh, wisdom in an unjust world. So how are we to exercise the wisdom that, that we're reading about and that we're studying about? How do we exercise this in a world filled with injustice? Because our world is filled with injustice. Look at verse 10. And then I saw the wicked buried. And they used to go out in a holy place and were praised in the city where they had done such thing. This is also vanity. You say, well, this is great. The, the wicked are buried. You know, they're, they're dead. They, they need to die, right? Your justice has been served. But yet even in their death, that's what the second part of that verse is saying. You know, they're, they're dead, but they're being praised for their evil works. This is vanity. Like, seriously, God, I, I thought this person would be judged, but yet here people are praising them. Verse 11, because the sentence against an evil deed is not exceeding or executed speedily, the heart of the children of man is set to do evil. And because justice doesn't happen right away, oftentimes it means that people just live however they want to. It's, isn't it better to just do evil? I mean, it's just easier that way, right? Verse 12, though a sinner does evil a hundred times and prolongs his life, yet I know that it will be well with those who fear God because they fear before him, but it will not be well with the wicked. Neither will he prolong his days like a shadow because he does not fear before God. Verse 14, there is a vanity that takes place on earth, that there are righteous people to whom it happens according to the deeds of the wicked, and there are wicked people to whom it happens according to the deeds of the righteous. And I say that this is also vanity. What happens to one should happen to the other and vice versa. Verse 15, and I commend, or, uh, commend joy, for man has nothing better under the sun but to eat, to drink, and to be joyful. For this will go with him in his toil through the days of his life that God has given him under the sun. Now, as we look at this and break down what he said there, how do we deal with wisdom in an unjust world? He tells us there, first of all, that justice delayed is not justice denied. You know, every day we turn on our TV and we see the injustice in the world around us. And we ask ourselves the question, like, God, do you, do you care? Are you, are, do you not see the same, like, TV that I'm watching? Do you not see the mess that's going on in our society, the, the mudslinging that's going on? And I'm not even talking about even in our own country. I'm talking about across the world. I mean, there is evil happening all over the place. And we think, well, God, do you not care? Are you not going to serve justice? But justice delayed is not justice de denied. It does not mean that God is not going to act, but God is going to act in his timing. You know, this is struggle, and it's struggling. And I think this is, makes sense to us. We've addressed this several times in Ecclesiastes, but it's painfully obvious as we walk through there. There's a dichotomy to what is fair and what actually happens, right? problem is we have to be careful about what we think is fair and what's not. See, church, if we're not too careful, we'll step on our own toes because justice delayed is not justice denied. What, what do we deserve as sinners? I mean, let's, let's be honest with ourselves. <laughs> if, God, if God did not delay <laughs> the justice that, that is owed, like none of us would be here, right? We'd be torched. 
See, God, and God extends grace, even though we sometimes don't think it's fair. We see these things like the wicked are buried, which seems fair, but then, then after a wicked life, they're praised. It, that, that isn't fair. God, seriously, look at the result. Verse 11, because the sentence against an evil deed is not executed speedily, the heart of the children of man is fully set to do evil. Mankind responds to injustice by turning their hearts to do evil. So because there's injustice, then more people are just going to jump into that sin and continue to perpetuate the problem. And we pull our hair out and think, God, what is going on here? In the end, God will take care of the injustice, but we have to leave the timing up to him. But we see secondly there that wisdom is submitting all things into the hand of a sovereign God. You see, once again, we're back where we started. In some ways, we have to throw ourselves, our, our hands up and say, God, you, I don't understand what's going on, but you do. God, I, I don't understand the plan of what you're, you're doing here, but, but I know that you do. Though a sinner, verse 12, does evil a hundred times and prolongs his life, yet I know that it will be well with those who fear God because they fear before him. No matter what's going on in the world around us, we need to fear God and do what God has called us to do, even if the rest of the world is going down a path of injustice. But it will not be well with the wicked Neither will he prolong his days like a shadow because he does not fear before God. Ultimately, in the end, justice comes. So what's our wisdom here that we see? We have a tendency to rely on our own understanding and, the, and our own intellect to make sense of the world around us. But God is telling us, no, you need to look through my eyes. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understandings. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil and it will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Wonderful words from Solomon in the book of Proverbs. As we wrestle through and like I, I said earlier, you know, life has never been fair and ultimately if we got what we were owed, then none of us would be here. See church, we have to remember the truth that Peter gives us in 2 Peter Chapter 3, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Church, how should we respond to wisdom and the injustice around us? You know, that's why we go to Moldova. I'll leave in a few weeks and go deal with some people that have been wronged over the years. You know, people that find themselves in poverty because of the oppression of the Soviet Union from years ago. They've been wrong. There's an injustice that's happening. But you know what we can do? We can take the hope of the gospel that has changed our lives and take it to them. Church, how do we respond to the injustice in our world? Church, if, if our churches across America stood up and preached the gospel as powerfully as we sometimes argue over politics, what would God do to our country? Church, that's how we navigate with, with wisdom. I'm not saying take a back seat, but, but church, the gospel is our most powerful tool to change the injustice of this world because if God gets a hold of our hearts and we put God on his proper place on the throne, then he changes us from the inside out. No amount of policy, no amount of government will ever change men's hearts. Only Christ will. 
So lastly, we see, just quickly, because we're out of time, he just ends this last section, if you aren't depressed enough. Thirdly, we see how we can have wisdom in a depressed world, right? So, I promise you, eventually, Jason, wherever Jason, I don't know if he's in the service or not, he gets the last message in Ecclesiastes, lucky dog, where there's actually good news, right? Aaron and I have trudged through this for so many weeks, but we're going to learn how to have wisdom in a depressed world. You know, how do we deal with what's going around us? Verse 16, when I applied my heart to know wisdom and to see the business that is done on earth, how neither day nor night do one's eyes see sleep. Then I saw all the work of God and that man cannot find out the work that is done under the sun. However much man may toil in seeking, he will not find it out. Even though a wise man claims to know, he cannot find it out. He basically says in the end, you know what? You need to like have wisdom in this world, but ultimately like your wisdom is going to leave you wanting. He'll tell us there, under there, the subpoint: we will never fully understand life's questions. We, we've been talking about this since the beginning, but we're never going to fully understand what's going on in the world around us. Like church, just stop trying to figure out, and, and I'm as type A as anybody in this room. For those of you who know me, and for all the type A'ers in here that we want to know the answer to life, right? Can I get an amen? We want to know what's going to happen. I'm a planner. I, my mind thinks visionary like five years, 10 years, 15 years, 20 years in the future. But I'm sorry, life just doesn't work that way. We can't know what's going to happen tomorrow. We're not guaranteed tomorrow. And this is what Solomon's trying to tell us. Like every endeavor of wisdom that we try to exert, and we should, He's not telling us not to, but he said we should exert wisdom. But at the end of the day, we have to lay ourselves before a sovereign God and trust that God has it all under control. But ultimately, you see, and this is where the rest comes. There is some good news. How do we respond with wisdom in a depressed world? We see, see there secondly under that point to respond with joy knowing that God is in control. You know, when we were flying that plane into Kansas City, Missouri that day, you know, we trusted the instruments that were going to get us on the ground. Even though we couldn't see the runway, we couldn't see the tower, the tower couldn't see us until our wheels hit the ground on that plane. We trusted the instruments to guide us in the right place. Do, do you trust God enough to guide you through the hard times of life? I'm going to quickly answer that. Like, let that set in a little bit. Do you tr- fully trust God? wrestle with that a little bit because I see all the time that we say, well, if, you know, if so-and-so is elected, then the world is just going to end. You know, is God, is God really seriously, like, still in control? <laughs> we say it all the time about life and politics. Well, man, if that's going to happen, then, you know, man, I guess God, God's lost, you know, he stepped off his throat, he's sleeping. I, I don't know, what's God doing? Like, do, do we trust God that God has has our, our country, our, our lives, like us in his hands. You, you trust him enough for your salvation. Do you trust him enough for your everyday life? As Kevin comes this morning, I, I want you to wrestle with that truth because you know, I don't know how God might be speaking to you today because this message is, was really, there's a lot of interesting stuff that Solomon left us there to wrestle with. But I think ultimately we've got to wrestle with that question. Is God the sovereign reigning ruler of my heart. Can you lay your head on your pillow at night with joy and confidence because even though you don't know what's going to happen tomorrow, you know that God knows what's going to happen tomorrow.
Do you find yourself like struggling with the circumstances and the storms of life, constantly wrestling with what's going to happen? Do you find yourself and others struggling around you because of that feeling? Because ultimately you have a trust issue with God. Maybe you're here today and, and you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ for salvation. You know, it, it starts there. This life has nothing to offer. I mean, that's what the book of Ecclesiastes is, is, is all about. You want money, you know what? It's going to leave you wanting. You want relationships, you know what? They're going to leave you wanting. You want power and influence? Wow, you're really, you're really stuck wanting. You're trusting in the government to save you? I'm sorry, the government can't save you. You're trusting in your own wisdom and your own strength to save you? I'm sorry, that's not going to leave you. All that we're left without God, everything is meaningless. So church, are, are, are you ready to stop trying to do things on your own and to start fully trusting God? Are you ready to find true meaning by finding your hope in Jesus Christ? Church, let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for today. Lord, and, and this passage of Scripture was tough. Lord, as I wrestled through it this week, Lord, there, there's just, it's so deep and so rich, Lord, we could spend weeks just breaking down what Solomon is, is writing there within that passage of Scripture. But Lord, ultimately it comes back to, do we trust you fully? And God, I think many people in this room are like, like I find myself, Lord, so oftentimes I say that I trust you. I say that, that I believe that you have fully, things fully under control, but Lord, so oftentimes I live in doubt and fear. Wondering if that's really true. God, you have given us everything that we need to navigate the challenges of this life. Lord, found within the pages of your word, God, Please give us the strength that we need to trust you. Lord, no matter what the news media says. God, and we know that that isn't always true. No matter what the politicians are saying and the mudslinging that's flying, Lord, this isn't about politics. At the end of the day, this is about you. God, if we trust in sinful men, then, Lord, we're going to be left wanting. But when we trust our sovereign Savior, Lord, we find hope and we find joy even in the midst of trials and suffering. Even in the midst of persecution like Paul and what he tells us and what he challenges us, Lord, we can find hope in you. God, help us to be the church, the men and the women that you have called us to be. Change our hearts and change our lives. Lord, help us to engage Engage our culture in a meaningful way. Lord, and to take a hopeless world and to a hopeless world the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. Just in the quietness of this moment, here as the band plays and as we just pray, seek the face of the Lord today. What is God telling you today? Are, are you fully trusting Him? 
Or are you trusting in yourself? Do, do you need to put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ today? If there's anyone in this room that has never put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, repented of their sins, and turned to Him, please, please, please don't leave this place without talking to me, without grabbing someone in the seat next to you and asking them, because there is only one hope, and that's Jesus Christ. The church today, ask God, what does he want from your life? How does he want you to change? However God's speaking to you, if you want to join the church, just in the quietness of this moment, seek the face of the Lord and then we'll worship